For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Monday, everybody. I'm back. I was in Provincetown. I did a show there. Everything went great. I want to thank all of you who sent me flowers and well wishes and everything. But we're back today to celebrate. So I begin by asking who or what are you celebrating today? There are so many things to celebrate today. Uh, today is Steve Martin's birthday. Um, but we're also going to be celebrating uh Jordan Kai Burnett, who I have been reading up on and I have fallen in love with her career. I'm going to be seeing her this weekend at Penguin Rep, which happens to be one of my favorite theaters in the world. Joe Brancato is one of my favorite directors. What he and Andrew Horn do there is absolutely brilliant work. But I want to take you back for a moment. 1979, December. I was invited to the taping of Gilda Live. And I saw her perform live. I was sitting right behind Candace Bergen and it was great. It was directed by uh, Mike Nichols. It was at BAM. Uh, there are reasons why it was done in Brooklyn instead of uh, on Broadway where she was doing it. But it was an exciting time to see her. And when she passed and she went through her battles with cancer and everything. It was a horrendous time, uh, not only for her and her family and loved ones, but for everyone who loved her. And I can't imagine anyone didn't love her. But now at Penguin Rep, they are celebrating the love story of Gene Wilder and Gilda Radner. And who better yet to bring this to life but Jordan Kai. How are you, Jordan? Well, hello. Hi, I'm honestly, I'm great. If I'm being honest, I'm great. <laughs> I am so glad that you're here. Um, I want to begin by asking beyond the show itself, mm -hmm. getting rave reviews, it's selling out. Uh, they're adding more performances. You must be exhausted. Uh, so thank you. You don't oh. look exhausted. Oh, thank you for thank saying you that. Doing the show today and uh, saying yes to doing oh, yeah. this. But beyond all of this, who or what are you celebrating today? Oh, what am I celebrating? You know, what's interesting is I just. Um, I think today I'm going to celebrate. Can I pick anything? I can pick anything. anything. Of course. I, I'm going to celebrate um, the feeling of being what I want to say, like being back. This feeling of like for artists during COVID, I think we all felt like, will we ever get to do what we love again? And I'm having a really extraordinary experience doing Jean and Gilda. And I feel like... Um, I, I was, I, this is so strange, but I was up for a really big show that I didn't get, but I just found out that I didn't get it. And to be honest with you, I'm sort of celebrating the fact that like, there's stuff to audition for and the, the hustle is back and the sort of the, the joy uh, and the loss of all of this, all of these things. I don't know. It sounds so silly, but that's what I'm celebrating today. That, that it feels like things are coming back. I think it's all wonderful. Uh, now, I know that you were doing, uh, the, you were the MC in Magic Might, uh, Magic Mike uh, in uh, Las Vegas. Um, it, this has to be the complete uh, opposite of everything that you were doing there. You know, so this transition, yeah. I mean, as an artist, uh, 
I believe that our job is to shed light on the human condition. Mm. And you're getting the chance to do that on opposite extremes. Uh, you've done Edward Scissor's hands, you've done so many different things. Are you living the dream that you thought that you would be dream, uh, living? Or has it manifested itself in a way that is completely different from what you thought it was going mm, to be? What a good question. You know, to be honest with you, I think I have, and I am very fortunate to say this, but I think I've sort of cultivated a career that has been sort of off the beaten path. Mm -hmm. um, I spend, you know, 90% of my time doing what I love in some capacity, whether it is a musical or a play or hosting. Um, and I think for a long time, there was always one thing. It could only be this one thing. And the truth is, like, I've done a lot of really weird, fun, interesting stuff. So I don't think it looks anything like what I planned that it would, um, for better or for worse. Um, yeah. No, we're going to cover so much today. Right. Uh, but I always begin my shows by asking our guest a mystery question. Okay. I've laid out three mystery cards. Okay. So Number one three three. I have no idea what you're gonna what we're gonna pull. So Great. pull a number one through three. Three. And the question for you is, get something off your chest in a loving way. And what I want to do is, I want to go a step further. I okay. want you to get something off your chest in a loving way about the industry that you are in. You know what? I got it in a loving way. You know what I think? I think in. In film and TV, very often, in film and TV, uh, even though film and TV is kind of not real right now, um, there is a, there's a habit of, like, you audition, and if they love you, they pin you, and then they release you. And what I'm going to get off my chest is that I wish that, that theater would adapt that so that there was, a, there was a track for and an understanding that if you went to the end for something or you went pretty far for something that you could, that they would release you, that they would say, hey, we went in a different direction. That's the thing that in a loving way, I would love to get off my chest about the industry right now. What a great answer. Um, what is it about uh, this business that first mm -hmm. put you in? I always go back to my guest and I ask them to go back to their five-year-old self. Oh, that's um, exactly where right. First, where did you grow up, first of all? I grew up in just outside Washington, D.C. in Arlington, Virginia, but my parents worked in New York. So I sort of spent time in both places. Um, but D.C. and New York is always my first date answer. Um, but I, I mean, it's so funny that you say five years old, because when I was five years old, we had the two tape. I mean, the two Spotify. I don't know. I'm, I'm older than I want to pretend I am. But <laughs> I had a. We have the two tape. Who am I? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I, yes. I don't know who I'm kidding. I, here we are. But I have the two tape uh, and then later the two CD of Les Mis. And while other kids were playing Takta or, you know, Astronaut, mm -hmm. I was playing Epony and Dying on the Barricade. I mean, I put, put on my mother's raincoat, five years old. I would put on her little hat. I would prop myself up against my bed and I would sing Little Fall of Rain by myself. I mean, really inspired. And you have then, any idea where that light comes from? It's very so interesting that you say this because no matter who I've interviewed in this business and yeah. I've interviewed everyone from yeah. every segment of the business, they all have the same story. 
Yeah. Uh, but some spark happens with yeah. it's universal with all artists that go into the theater or film. Uh, where do you feel that spark came from? It's such a good question because I truly have no idea. My dad's a photojournalist um, and very charismatic, like unbelievably charismatic. Like everyone wants him to speak at every event that he goes to. He's extraordinary, but he's not a performer. Um, by any, you know, he's behind the camera, truly, truly, but he's very charismatic. And and then my mother was in politics for a long time. So it's really like, I have no idea. And I don't, I do not remember a time when this was not the only thing I wanted to do. I mean, truly like exactly what you say, like every other story, ballet class when I was three years, you know, toddler, tiny tots ballet class and singing little mermaid in my bathtub, truly like I don't remember a time when there, when that wasn't it. And I think, yes, absolutely. Having parents that just like let me run wild in my house probably helped. But I think also they must have put the CD of or the tape of Les Mis in my hands. And there must have been something that they saw in like my desire for attention and to sing loudly constantly that 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 you know they said well let's put her in ballet classes and then when I was 10 years old they sent me to stage door manor so oh well and to be fair I was in a New York Times magazine I found the ad for stage door there was a phone number I called stage door I ordered the VHS without my parents knowing and when it arrived I was like hello this is stage door manor and I would like to go there and I like pitched them this whole thing at like I guess nine and a half but before that, I mean, it must have come from somewhere. And I, I would say probably great encouragement and, and uh, patient parents. Are your parents still around? They are. They are. My parents saw Jean and Gilda on Friday. What are their names? I want to um, raise a glass to both of them. Oh, please do. Iris and David. Iris and David, if you're watching, thank you. Oh, that's uh, so cute. I, mean, I, I that. didn't have that from my parents. Yeah. I grew up on a tobacco farm in South Carolina. Wow. So I was in the same thing. I was performing on my front porch. Uh, we, I joke about this in my own show. We live next door to a cemetery. And those tombstones were my first audience. 100%. They weren't going anywhere. <laughs> no, I love a crowd that's forced to stay. So Iris and David, I love oh, it. Oh, that's so, so sweet. Yeah. Um, now, do you have brothers and sisters? I have a brother. Um, who is a writer and an editor and ha- plays rock and roll. Um, but again, is, you know, is an amazing musician, but is also like a full-time writer and editor for a small chain of papers. So, and we have a big age difference. So I think he was probably forced to watch me do like one person versions of, I want to say Jelly's Last Jam. Like I definitely did that show by myself in my parents' living room when I was six. I love your choices of the shows. That you really? Made. Like if the, anything can explain my career now, it was like my very versatile choice of things like Little Mermaid, Jelly's Last Jam and Les Mis all for your pleasure. Now, do you remember the first show that your parents ever took you to see? The, the first one that I remember is I was five and my, my parents' best friend, David took me to see Les Mis. And this was on Broadway. On Broadway. And I think we may have been to the Kennedy Center before that, but I have a very, very, I have a visceral memory of being very small in a seat and sitting like this for three and a half hours, just like uh, with no, no, can we go to the bathroom? Just the whole time. So 
that's my that may not have been literally the first time I know that we used to go to like children's theater and stuff but that's the memory that that's the core memory well David Langella in his wonderful book it talks about that moment of stepping from the dark into the light mm. uh, do you remember the first time that you stepped from the dark into the light on a stage in front of an audience and what that experience was like for you I mean, I remember in first grade that we did Cinderella and that I was playing the lead minuet dancer. Mm. And I don't have any, I mean, I could actually sing the song for you right now if you're interested because my memory is insane. I'm not going to. But I remember the feeling of, that the, the feeling of being six years old and the adrenaline rush like the fear and the delight. And I don't know if that was the first one, but that's, that one is like, I was in a pink sequin dress that I remember thinking like, I remember having a thought like, wow, you look great about myself at six and then going on stage and like giggling and singing a song called Come and Dance the Minuet. And so it's again, it's like a core memory that I don't know a hundred percent if it's the first one, but it is definitely like, it is buried in there in a way that is d d formative. Now, obviously, your parents were very supportive. Mm. Uh, you went to Stage Door Manor. I'm going to assume that you went there. I sure did. So after this happens, what when you said to your parents, I really want to pursue this as a career, they yeah. were still supportive, I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah. And what were the steps that you took? Were your desires and dreams to go to Broadway or were your desires to go to the West Coast and do film and television? My, at my core, I will always be a theater kid. You know, that is, there is for me, n nothing like live, like li when it's live, nothing. Like being, film and TV is great. I, I love it, but please someone give me a TV job. But there is something about the theater that is like, it's like drugs, you know, it's just, it's never the same twice. Um, so yeah, I went to Stage Door and then I went, I spent a lot of time in high school doing a lot of theater and trying to audition for as much as I could. And then I went to Emerson College um, to, and I majored in musical theater there. So I was sort of like this full-time musical theater kid, just like until I, I don't know. I, I mean, I still am that person. Mm -hmm. I just have emotionally sobered out because I'm not 22 and asking people like, what 16 bars are you singing anymore <laughs> upon introduction? But um, I think the dream will always, I think even when I do a Broadway show, my dream will always be Broadway. You know, there is something about it. There is like a thing in my heart, in my head. Um, and so, yeah, I was always New York. I moved to LA when I was young, like when I was kind of soon out of college to sort of pursue comedy a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I was there for a while and I found myself paying my bills, reading new musicals in LA, which is like really strange. Um, and then I, I met a couple of people. I, I've been doing the, the uh, every production workshop incarnation of the Romy and Michelle musical since 2015. And that started in LA. And I was able to go with Se to Seattle with it. I've done every New York workshop and that came out of Los Angeles. Um, I also worked on a new musical with Pat Benatar. Same thing came out of LA. So I opened for Pat Benatar at Milwaukee Rep many you years. ago. Did she's yes. great? Yes. She's, she's amazing. Wonderful. She's my Italian yes. mama. Watching um, Pat, so. she's great. 
yeah and I think like theater has always always just been my first love you know the the dichotomy of things that come with the adrenaline rush and the fear and the joy and it's unmatched well which of the unions did you get into first and Take us back to the experience of getting your first union card. Oh, this is Says, very good. I'm a professional actress. Yeah, this is actually very good. I was, uh, I was just out of college, and I was working in an Irish pub. And I'm going to bury the lead on the answer to this for good storytelling. Um, and I was working in an Irish pub, and I was in final callbacks for Marsha Milgram Dodge's production of Susicle that was going on the road for The Cat in the Hat. Yes. Yeah, which for me was like the dream because it was the cat in the hat in that production was like an SNL. It was like an SNL track, right? Like I played 86 different parts. I got to sing a little bit. I got to do all the voices, all the characters. It was just like a dream. So I go to my final callback and I've missed a lot of work at this Irish pub because I've been in callbacks on all this business. So I call the pub to get my schedule. And the lady answers the phone and she says, I'm sorry, actually, we don't have any shifts left for you here. Mm. And I said, what do you mean? She was like, I said, wait, I'm fired? And she said, oh, you are. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and while wow. I was on the phone, I got like a, a boop boop. Like there had been, I had a missed call. And when I, while I'm on the phone getting fired, I have a missed call. And the missed call is from my agent. And I call my agent back and she says, you booked Susical and you're getting your equity card. Wow. In the same minute. How loud did you scream at that moment? I threw, I, I, this is like, I had, I still had a household phone, right? So I threw it across the room and started screaming. I, I mean, it was just, it just felt like right place, right time. You know, I feel like I've had, I'm really lucky that I've had a lot of moments where even if I've said like, oh, is this the right thing? Something will come in and be like, it was, you know, and, and I, I'm sorry, was this your first time on the road as well with a yeah, company? Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. how did that shape you so early in your career? Oh, you know, it was really fun. It, it was a really fun show to do. Uh, and it was a lot of work. And it was a lot of one-nighters or two-nighters or three-nighters, which is tough. Mm -hmm. But then there were also times when we, we stayed like 10 days in Milwaukee, which it was the best. Mm -hmm. So it had this sort of balance between like bus and truck energy and real real showbiz energy and um I learned a lot about who I want to be and who I didn't want to be on the in, in that show there were like a lot of big you know I think there's like egos when you're young a lot mm -hmm. of egos and I think I sort of was like oh wow there's really it's very clear like who you could be or who you could choose not to be um but it was really fun and hard yeah. in your bio it says that you are both you consider yourself a new yorker you also uh consider yourself a las vegan uh and uh la as well mm -hmm. um, do you like being in one place for any period of time or do you really like being on the road you know what's so funny is it took me so long to be in one place and as soon as i did it i was in vegas for like three and a half years and that's the longest i had been anywhere other than new york now, how many shows a week were you doing in Vegas? We were doing 10 shows a week. Um, and the track at Magic Mike is a very big undertaking. And so that 
Uh, I was very, very lucky that I was sharing the part with this person who I now call my sister, Chelsea Phillips Reed. So she would do four, four shows and I would do six or I would do four and she would do six or we would do five and five. Or So it was actually, we always had to be there because we would always stand by for each other. So it was 10 shows a week and no matter what, but it, it was really nice because doing a, a show like that, that is an hour and a half that you are in an hour and 25 minutes of is bananas with no breaks no time for water no time to, like so um i mean i guess to answer your question i like being where the work is mm, good I, I like being in new york as a human my anxiety and my desire to not be in a car is all made easier in new york because it's so busy i don't have time to be with my thoughts in los angeles i would like sit in a car and be like are you okay this is how I drive, like Mr. Magoo. Ugh. But um, I think there's something about New York that makes me just, I'm always inspired. And even when I'm like, you know, sitting around depressed like everybody else in New York, there's still something feeding it. Um, if I'm in LA for work, sure. Vegas is like a not, it's like an ex. You know, I love, I love the history, but like we'll never be together again. You don't think so? I don't think so. It's not for me. I, I am so grateful for the time I had there. I'm so grateful for the job that I did there. Um, and I don't know, I guess for the right job. Um, but I think Vegas is a really different place than LA and New York because you go to Vegas for a job. And while in New York, you could book a job. There's a lot of time to make your own stuff. And there's not a lot of time to make your own stuff in Vegas because you're doing 10 shows a week. So the community of what is being built in Vegas is really different than Los Angeles and New York, I think. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the impact of the last few years. Mm. What was happening career-wise when everything oh. shut down the industry? Oh, of course, so much. This seems to be the story for everyone, right? It's like, I was about to have my big break. Um, I was doing the most extraordinary show called Found, which is, um, uh, how do I explain it? It's it's based on the magazine Found, the, and it's based on, how they made the magazine. It was directed by Moritz von Stupenagel, who directed Hand to God on Broadway and um, Private Lives and um, written by Hunter Bell and Eli Bolin. I mean, it, the show is, it's like an SNL, again, SNL, appropriate. It's like an SNL sketch with an incredible story, an incredible score, the most incredible group of people. Um, it was me and Jonah Platt and Mike Mion and um, Kat Burns, who was the choreographer for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And it was just the most dynamic group of humans. And so I was running that show in LA. And I was getting ready to go to New York for a weekend to do another reading of Romeo and Michelle. And I was getting ready to also go to New York two weeks later, three weeks later, to do a, another workshop of this Pat Benatar musical. And I went to a party on Wednesday night. And when I woke up on Thursday morning, found the show had been closed for the weekend. Uh, and then the other two workshops had been canceled. Wow. And it happened within, like, I went to a party. I woke up too hungover. And my phone was like, what? it was one of these. You know, you're just scanning through the texts and texts and emails. And everything had been canceled. And... So, you know, I, I feel like this is a thing that a lot of my friends went through this sort of like, 
It was all about to happen. And, and who's to say, you know, we did another workshop of both of those shows in 2021, which was terrific. Found has not yet had another life, which is unfortunate. So if there's anybody out there with a lot of money yeah, like to produce the best but show of all time. The biggest impact, uh, both positively mm. and negatively, that you feel that COVID had on you? How did it shape you? How did yeah. it shape you? I think... I think it's both, right? It has to be positive and negative. I think I, I had free time for the first time in my whole life to figure out who I was as a person without work, without the business, which is great and terrible. Um, I think it, it for me, the, the separation made me go, yeah, I still really want this. And I think for a lot of my friends, it made them go, you know what? This is a great time for me to leave the business. But for me, it made me go, okay, I really got to, What's next? What's next? You know, um, but it also gave me space to. I drove in an RV around the country in a very COVID safe way so that I could do something that I'd never have the opportunity to do. Wow. otherwise. You. Yeah, it was cool. It was also ridiculous. Like, did you do that by yourself? Or I did that someone? with my, well, my now husband, um, but my then boyfriend. Um, now, this is right. Yes, he is. He is in. Um, he's a circus man. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. We met in Vegas, and he's a uh, he's a host and a comedian and a juggler, and he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and yeah, we drove around the country because it was the same thing for him. He was like, "Oh, I've never not been working. What should we do?" Um, and I think it was a really interesting time to to invest in a relation. You know, we we were really new. We were six months in when the pandemic hit, and we were living together because at some point you know, Jesus be the ability to know a good thing when it happens to you. So <laughs> we moved good. in together after like a month and then five months later, the pandemic happened. And I think not to say that like we wouldn't have stayed together and all these things, but I, I saw a lot of people whose relationship was really pressure cooked in the pandemic and it didn't work out. And we've been together four years and it feels like we've been together a hundred because we lived in the pandemic together and then we drove in an RV together. And then we lived with my parents and then we lived in a studio in Vegas. We did everything we could to really make sure we were putting it to the test. And at the end of it, we were like, yeah, still really into you. So that I think was an opportunity I would not have otherwise had because I would have been busy working. Now, did you make the decision to come back or was that decision made for you? Oh no, I made the decision. Um, I loved my time at magic Mike. Um, but I have, a lot of hustling to do. There's other things I want to do. I want to do plays. I'd like to do a musical on Broadway if anyone is listening. Um, I hope I, they are. I hope they are. Um, I have a lot of things I want to do. And not unlike what I said before, it was made very clear to me in my time in Vegas that if I wanted to do them, I could be in LA or I could be in New York. But there is still really a weight of the coasts that says like, not to say you can't book something out of Vegas. Of course you can. Of course. But being in it, being in the middle of it, the hustle, the all of that, you can't fake that somewhere else. You can't pretend it exists anywhere because you can't go to Glass House and see all your friends after the theater on a Friday night. You can't walk down Ninth Avenue and run into everybody you know anywhere else but New York. And so I woke up one morning after having been a, a part of Magic Mike for about a little over three years. And I said to my husband, uh, my then fiance, I was like, mm, I think I need to go back to New York. Like the business is coming back and I'm ready. And he said, okay, go quit your job. Let's go. And it was a really wild thing to do, but it was absolutely the right thing to do. Now I want to talk about Jean and Gilda. Please. And 
trajectory and getting there. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, were you a big fan of uh, Gilda Radner's before this? Can um, you and imagine? How, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, can you imagine being a Jewish woman in comedy and not being, but please continue. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite character? I have a favorite sketch. I have a favorite sketch, but I want to let you finish your sentence because we can come back. No, you go first. You, you okay. go first. My okay. favorite sketch of all time is Jewess Jeans. The Jewess Jeans ah, commercial yes. is, it is intrinsic. It is a part of my soul. I remember being maybe like a teenager and like Gilda turning around and doing Jewess and feeling like, yeah, like there was just something like either you understood it or you didn't. And, and to me, that's so much of Gilda. I mean, we can talk about that, but that's my favorite. That's my favorite sketch. What surprised you the most uh, that you didn't know about her uh, going into this project? And then I want to talk about the trajectory of you getting it mm. and the impact that it's having on you. Uh, but what has surprised you the most since getting involved in this project? I think that in terms of Gilda, in terms of learning about Gilda, um, I always really, and not, not to say that any of these things doesn't, she was such a strong, fierce person, which mm. everybody knows, but she's very open about her, like, she talks in, in her book, um, It's Always Something, she talks about how she kind of bullied Gene Wilder into finally giving into getting married, and like, there's all these sort of... Um, house house withian kind of things that she really loved and wanted and i think so often you think about like i would spend time thinking about gilda gilda the performer gilda the performer oh yeah she was married to gene wilder but the the softness about her that came later in her life was really surprising to me and I, i'm i'm going to assume that you never saw her perform live no i never did she was so. I mean, I mean I, I've seen I've seen Gilda on Broadway on video, but right. I ne but uh, unfortunately, I was I was not alive before she died. So, and how did this come about for you? I mean, did you hear about a casting call? Uh, how did it come about? I was walking through um, the Newburgh Vintage Emporium. I don't know if you've ever been there, it's a very fabulous vintage store. Mm -hmm. And I got an email from my manager, and it just said something like, "Any interest?" <laughs> And I read the title and I was like, yeah, I didn't even really read what it was other than I, I mean, it just said Jean and Gilda. And if you're, I guess if you, if you know, you know, cause like, you know, you know. I, I was like, immediately I was like, yeah, yes, whatever it is, I'm interested. And then I went back and I read the play and I had an audition for the art for uh, Joe and Carrie and um, my, my, my comedy partner, my life wife, the mother of my godson, my favorite person on earth is Tony Award winner Daisy Egan. Daisy Egan, yes. And Daisy coaches me on every audition I have because she's the best in the business. And because when I when she had her son, I changed his diapers for so long that we are now we're getting even. You know, we're finding an even playing field. No, she's really like the she is the best coach. If there's any actors out there, please hire Daisy for all your she auditions. To see it. Uh, she's seeing it on a week from Thursday. Okay. Um, but Daisy was with me, like, you know, drilling my scenes with me, drilling my sides with me, making sure I was thinking and making the right choices. And then, um, I had my audition, I had my callback. Um, and at my callback, uh, Jonathan, who plays Jean was the reader. 
And I walked in and his face is Gene Wilder. Ah, I know, I know. And so when I walked in, I was like, well, if this guy's not playing Gene Wilder, that's crazy. And, you know, come to find out that they did, in fact, they were inspired by J- Jonathan's face to write it. Um, and had a great, <laughs> had a great callback. Joe was like, hey, Gene, uh, Gene, Jonathan, will you get out of your seat and read with, so we were on our feet and we were doing the whole thing and sometimes you just have a feeling in your guts. And I just was like, man, if it's not me, I'm going to burn this place to the ground, you know, in a good way, just sort of like, I feel like this could be a really great thing. And and I guess I was right because now I'm doing it. Well, I can say this about Joe and I know he's watching, but uh, hi, Joe. when, when Joe is excited about something, um, it, it, oozes through every pore of his body. That's I true. mean, you can't contain it. That's true. And I remember him talking about you being cast in this role. And he was so excited. Oh, and uh, and I've been to several shows up at Penguin Rep uh, in, you know, since you were cast. And he would come out and just talk to the audience and he would just um, uh, cavell over you. Oh, that's and, so uh, nice. Yes, he would just go on and on and on. Were there any trepidations for you? Uh, I mean, to play someone who is so vivid in the minds of so many people, um, and a lot of people, there's a human uh, Gilda, mm-hmm. and then there's the characters that she played, obviously, on Saturday yeah. Night Live. And even when she's doing interviews, that's a persona that she's presenting to the world. Yeah. Uh, you have to find the heart and soul of who this person is and you bring this person to life on stage. It's one thing if you're a great actress, let's say you're a good actress. I'm, you're a great actress based on everything I've heard. You are a good actress. You walk on stage and you convince the audience that you're Gilda Radner and that lasts 10 minutes. If you are a great actress, you have to have that through line going for 90 minutes, two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, did any of that intimidate you? No. And I only say that because I really believe in my heart that, like, we don't know Jean and Gilda. You know, we think we do. I mean, I think that's the whole point, right, is we think we know these people. Even now, we can assume what we want to assume, but we'll never know them. So the only service that I can do is try to be a great actor And try to be her with as much integrity as possible. Um, And and it's a lot of pressure to, in your head, go like, oh, you're playing Gilda Radner. But the truth is, like, I'm playing a person that I also love. And Jonathan is playing a person that he loves. So there's no no world where I'm going to walk on stage and every night not try to do her a great service. Mm -hmm. And if it lands with the audience, great. But I don't, I don't know how people, you know, I can't be responsible for every person in the audience and what they, what they think about a show. You would lose your mind if you go that road. I mean, honest to God, like I wouldn't be in this business anymore. If that kind of thing was a part of my day to day, I wouldn't, I would have quit a long time ago because the truth is like, I have a job. My job is to do the show, have a pretty good time doing it. And my hope is that, and so far it seems to have been all of these people that love Jean and Gilda will leave feeling like they got to spend an hour and some change with them. Um, Hugh is in Gilda and vice versa. Say that again. 
how much of you is in Gilda and vice versa? It's really funny. I, I think we are so, in a lot of ways, really similar. Um, a great group of my friends came to, like some of my very best friends came to see the show on Saturday. And after they were like, oh, a lot of crossover, huh? <laughs> That's good. I love it. And and it's true, you know. Um, I think similar but different, like a lot of the same kind of hangups, a lot of the same anxieties, um, which I think when I was getting ready to audition for the show, I was kind of tearing myself apart about like, am I going to be Gilda enough? And Daisy was like, you're you're acting like Gilda would be if she was having, like, it was very meta. It was very meta. Um, but I think. Um, well, Gilda, you know, if you know her history, I mean, she dealt with uh, the misogyny of the uh, SNL mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to get through all of that and everything and, uh, and really being her own person in mm -hmm. an industry yeah. that, you know, she was hysterical and had so much to bring to the industry. And you reach a certain level where everyone knows who you are. And then they try to pigeonhole you mm -hmm. into staying within that box and even doing acting roles and things beyond the sketch comedy. Mm -hmm. She constantly fighting for that. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's some of these like Gilda and Madeline Kahn, these sort of extraordinary, extraordinary comedians beyond were given opportunities where they were given opportunities, which I like to think is a little bit like, I like to think there's more expansion in that now in the business. Is it perfect? No, certainly not. But my hope is that there's more room for women in comedy now than there used to be. Um, and, you know, she was the first one on SNL. She was the first person on SNL. And, you know, she walked so the rest of us could run you know what was your process before you got into the rehearsal room i read again i had already read it but i read it again i read it's always something i watched the gilda documentary a few times the snl great uh gilda greatest hits has been one of i i stole it from netflix on dvd when they started having DVDs, I was like, oh my gosh, I lost it. This is mine now. Like I kept like, so I watched that about a thousand times. I watched the Gilda hosting the Muppet show. It's all things that I love, but it was, it was nice to revisit all of them. Cause I think that's the thing. I watched a bunch of interviews with her and Jean as well, but um, I think that was before. And then uh, in the last couple of weeks, I had never seen Haunted Honeymoon, which is the movie she and Gene Wilder made together. And so Jonathan and I watched it together and had a very delightful, albeit questionable experience because the movie is a bit questionable. Uh, kind of is. great. Is, like some is. of it's extraordinary and some of it is a mess. Uh, what is it that Joe brings to the table for you as a director? Hmm. Joe's got great ideas. You know, Joe has really great ideas. He'll see something and he'll, he'll really, see, he'll be able to see something and go like, it's this, which is kind of an astonishing trait. Um, especially like when you can't see it for yourself to have a director who can just be like, it's, it's this it is really terrific. And the show, of course, is Jean and Gilda. Mm -hmm. So what does Jonathan bring to the table as Everything. Jean? Everything. 
everything. everything. He brings everything. Uh, this, I mean, I cannot speak highly enough about him. To me, he is a like the dream scene partner. He is generous. He is brilliant. He is a honey bunny. His Gene Wilder is so great. His integrity is so great. I, I truly like, I, I hit the jackpot. Honestly, I, there is nothing, I could not, I cannot sing his praises enough. And again, he brings incredible integrity. He can do the neuroses and anxiety of Gene Wilder in a way that is like, in, you cannot believe it's not Gene Wilder, but he brings a calm that also was a huge part of who Gene was. And um, I mean, I just, he does everything. He is, to me, he's the, like, I'm there, but to me, he's the show. Now, I live here in Rockland County. I've been to Penguin Rep many times. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite places to go. I can honestly say in all the years that I've been going there, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your skirt, uh, Joe, so, but I have never seen a production there that I did not absolutely walk away, oh, riveted and loved. Um, but what does uh, Penguin Rep now mean to you, having the opportunity to work on that stage? Penguin Rep is like... Uh, and I have said this to Joe like a thousand times now, but when you pull up to a penguin for the first time, it feels like Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney and um, any of those movies where you're like, let's put on a show. It is an invigorating experience where, you know, I'm really, I feel really lucky. Like a, a lot of really excellent people auditioned for this show. You know, it is working right now is really tough. There's not as many jobs as there used to be. And it's really hard. And every day I am so grateful that I get to be in the room doing this show. But I will say that like walking into that barn the first day, it felt very, I mean, very babes in arms, I guess is the way to say it. You know, you're in a barn with beautiful seats and like Broadway designers. It's just like so silly, but it's so special. And it's to me truly at the heart of it all. It's like, it's like why we all got into this, right? It's like why I called Stage Door Manor when I was 10 years old, is to put on and a show like uh, as, as we wrap up today, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I am, I'm really interested in the creativity and the process and uh, spirituality and how it all comes together in this mm -hmm. business. So I do a lot of reading. And uh, so I've got some random questions that I've just pulled just for some fun. Right just to learn a little bit about your process beyond uh, your history and everything. And the first question is, what are your biggest fears, if any, in the industry as it stands right now? Uh, we're going through major shifts uh, with the strikes and everything going on. IATSE mm. uh, almost went on mm. strike, thank God they didn't. Mm -hmm. What are your biggest fears in the industry? And what are the things that you've seen change since you've come into the industry? that you really like mm -hmm. and what are the things that you really wish were in place that are no longer there? That's a three part question. It's a three part question. So the first thing is, I think my biggest fear is this, it is the thing that I think we should all stop teaching young children in theater, but um, is the scarcity mentality that there's not going to be enough work for everybody. And if somebody else books it, it's not, you know, there's not enough for everyone because I think there is enough for everyone. And even when there's not, there is. So that's the thing I'm the most afraid of, I think, is that feeling that I grew up with of like, well, you're never going to get that job. Did you, I mean, you grew up with that feeling, but yeah, uh, I'm glad that you said this because I believe, uh, not to get political, although your mom was political, um, but uh, 
I believe that that's the issue that we're facing in the world today, that people operate from a point of fear that there's not enough to go around. I think that's, but I think it's, I don't know why, but I do think it's something that is taught. Like we teach kids in theater, like if you can do any, you know, get out of the business if you can. And it's like, why? There's enough. There's enough. There's enough for everyone. And I mean, I have like truly like a brand built on confidence, but I do think that like in terms of there, there, everyone has fear that, you know, this, the thing that you dream of won't come to fruition. And I think that I, at the end of it, it's like, stay in the marathon. It's a marathon. Stay in it. There's enough for everybody. What is something that I, what, what was something that I wish would change? Uh, something that uh, changes that you've seen happen in the industry that you um, like. Yeah. Changes that you don't like so much. I mean, I guess the first thing that I like is inclusion. Like in every corner. Uh, and I really don't think that there's enough of it. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's a good start. Um, Finally. Mm-hmm. finally like way 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 long overdue but i guess you know you have to start somewhere um and then what do i wish i wish that has changed in the business that i miss is that i wish like um tiktok was not a definitive resume builder mm. because uh i think there's a lot of great stuff happening not on our phones And there was a time when that was more important. And I think there's a lot of now there's a lot of how many followers, how many followers, how many followers do you have, which is all well and good. Um, But like, that's not art, baby. You know, how many followers. So and I know I sound like a old guy when I say that, but because I like water bottle, but I like the Internet for a lot of reasons. (laughs) I love videos of dogs. Uh, But. I I'll send you mine singing. Oh, I already saw your Instagram. Our dogs look very similar. Um, but I think that there's a, I think there's a bit of that that I wish would just calm down. I absolutely agree with you. Um, in this business, who do you turn to for support in the Daisy business? Daisy Egan. Oh, Daisy Egan. Daisy Egan. <laughs> Tony Award winner Daisy Egan is the group. Well, I love Daisy. I mean, she's a phenomenal actress. Uh, She's so brilliant. I've seen more of her. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, you're about to God's ears. I agree. Uh, but to me, who do I turn to is the, the first answer that comes to my head is Daisy Egan. Daisy has been in this business longer than, and, and in a more, um, what's the word, definitive and in a more uh, like impactful way than anybody else that I know. Um, she's still the most brilliant actor that I know. And either, you know, sometimes I need to be told like, hey, okay, should we always say like, you never uh, celebrate anything until you're eating cake at the opening night party, because anything Mm. could happen. So sometimes she's my person to say like, hey, remember this. And sometimes she's my person to say like, there is no one better than you. She's always that person for me, actually. But um, I wish everyone had a Daisy Egan. Um, Yeah, that's my first answer. And my only answer. Right. what um, what uh, pace uh, best suits you in this business? Um, are you very frantic? Do you need quiet time? 
Do you have a day, I mean, and thank you for doing this because I know you're off today, but do you have a day that is totally your day that is not industry related just for you and your husband? And yeah. being in the business, yeah. just, I mean, it, it, your uh, schedules, I'm sure, don't always gel. Um, how do you make that work? Um, I'm married to someone who gets it. So we spend time apart and that's just part of what we signed up for. Uh, we try to take one day off a week where we like, drink some nice wine and do a fun thing. If we can, we really try to do that once a week. Otherwise my, my pace is like, it, my energy is high all the time. I have a really hard time relaxing. And even when I am relaxing, I'll be like doing work on my phone. My husband will be like, Hey, we're relaxing. And I'm like, Oh, I've heard about that. What's that like? Um, which is why I like New York. Cause I don't feel like I'm I feel like finding downtime is harder and that's better for me. Um, I love a routine. I really love a routine. Um, and so, yeah, but I do try to find like one day a week to just do absolute. I try to do absolutely nothing. And if absolutely nothing means five emails, then it means five emails. Good for you. Now I'm all about celebrating. So with this next question that I'm about to ask you, what without naming names or a specific situation that will give this away, okay. What do you feel is the biggest injustice that you have faced in this industry and how did you get it through it? And what got you to the other side for those who may be going through difficult times? Um, Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes you'll get replaced on a project you've been working on forever. And that has happened to me. And I think the thing that I have to remember. And I think this is the thing like performing easy, auditioning easy, the bounce back, the waiting to hear about a job, the waiting to know about it. That's the thing I'm finding is the hardest to get back into post COVID. Um, but I think the thing that's helping me the most with that and with all of these things is like, none of it is personal. I am, I am who I am. This is what it does. This is, this is what it does. And sometimes you're in the mood for pizza and sometimes you're in the mood for Chinese food. Bingo. And, have and, you read the book, The Four Agreements? I have. One of my favorite books. It's not about you and yeah. never personally. Yes. And I think it's so hard not to in a business where you're like, hi, I'm Jordan Kyburnett and my slate says that I live in New York. That's hard to be like, it's not about me, but it's not. And, and if, you're wondering why you didn't get a job sit behind a table and go to a casting session once and mm. you'll know like that person walked in and they were wearing pants i can picture the character wearing pants that's it it has nothing to do with who you are as a human or your talent everybody's or good remind them of somebody that they had an affair with that's always uh, my favorite or like i ate a bagel this morning and it changed my whole mood right you know and i just think it's it's such a hard thing to remember but it's essential Wow, great answers. Uh, when people talk about you when you're not around, uh -huh. what do you hope that they're saying? Oh, I hope that they are saying that she's, oh man, Jordan, she's so fun and talented and she works so hard. And um, she's the kind of friend I can always count on. Perfect. Name three words or phrases that you want to be known for. Um... Like descriptors? Yes. Oh, um, the, 
disarming, hilarious, loyal. Good. What makes you sad in this industry? So many things. <laughs> um, what makes me sad is um, uh, the feeling that you are not, like sometimes there's a feeling that if you're not working, then you're not enough. Mm. And that feeling makes me sad. For and myself and for my friends. Happy everything. I love it. I love watching my friends thrive. I love being on stage. I, I love it. I'm a total Pollyanna sometimes. Not all the time. But a lot of the time I spend just being like, have you guys ever seen theater? <laughs> have you ever been at the theater? It's the best. Like I went to see it. Yeah, I just like, I go to the theater and I just feel inspired. And I love to see my friends in shows and it makes me feel so happy. Um, this next question you've already answered, so I'm going to move that. Okay. Um, um, are you spiritual in this, uh, in your own uh, personal life? Um, I believe. What grounds you? What keeps you motivated? What keeps you going? Feeding my dogs. Mm -hmm. They got to have food. I mean, I think I grew up as a Jewish person. Mm -hmm. I don't really, I'm not really into religion. I don't really know how I feel about. Speaking of which, he wants to say hello. <gasps> hello. What's his name? <laughs> this is Benny. Benny, I'm a Benny. Um, I love him. Um, I love dogs so much. If this was a podcast about dogs, I could talk the same amount I did about. Oh, dogs. me too, me too. Um, yeah, I'm spiritual in the sense that like dogs are magic, and you know, a donut fresh out of the fryer is heaven. But I'm I'm not really. I don't know. I'm I'm culturally Jewish in that I talk with my hands a lot and I love to guilt people. But like, really, it's it's not really for me. It's just. Um, I believe in like how magical science is and not, that doesn't mean I'm a Scientologist. It means like when you hear Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about mm. how a star works, that's magical. That to me He's is. talking about you, Jordan. Hmm? He could be talking about you. A hundred percent. If you talked about dogs last week, I cried for three hours. Yes. Um, name three things that you're grateful for today. Hmm. My apartment, my dogs, and um, my uh, resilience. I'm feeling resilient today, and it feels good. good. It feels like growth. Great. And what is the best question that you've ever been asked in this business that has propelled you forward? Do you want to be right or do you want to make good art? And who asked you that question? That What a great question. It's a thing that my friends, a bunch of my friends say. And I was in a, a very sexy rock band for a while. And when we would argue, we would say, okay, well, do you want to be right or do you want to make good art? And I think at the end of it, it's like, that's really what you got to ask yourself. Wow. Great thing. Um have you been deferring any major decisions when it comes to your career or do you feel that you're pretty much on track for what you're going after? Do you mean personally? Yes. Um, I mean, I think when I was in Vegas, I felt like I was like, am I doing the right thing being in Vegas right now? Even though I have a very extraordinary job. Um, but then I picked up and moved back to New York and that was great. Um, 
I'm married to an extraordinary man who has a beautiful daughter who lives in London. So I'm surprised a very hot stepmom. Um, and so I feel very, very satiated as a parent. Um, so I don't feel like I'm putting that off, which I know I'm sure a lot of um, childbearing humans feel that anxiety about, but I don't really, cause I have a really great kid who lives in London. Um, and I have two dogs. So right now, now I have to ask what type of dogs do you have? Well, they're really small. They look like yours. They're like Maltese mixes. Okay. Ducky and Ernie. Wow. I, I just got back from Provincetown and uh, there must've been 10 small Maltese and oh, no. uh, Maltese mixes oh, all no. in the hotel. Yeah. And they were all uh, in the uh, dog park together and they were having, I think he had a better vacation than any of us. Should I see if a dog can come say hi? Yes, of course. Hello dogs. Can I get a dog for this interview? Can I get, excuse me. Can I get a dog for this interview, please? Uh, Come on in. Just this one will do. Thank you. Hello, Douglas. Oh, my goodness. This is Ducky. Gotta full name, a... Douglas. Great. <laughs> and these are his foots. Oh, I love it. Oh, he's very beautiful. There he is. He, he moved to New York and he got bangs. Wow. Cute, cute, cute. Uh, what's the one choice that renders 1,000 other choices that you've made? Irrelevant. Honestly, marrying my husband. Good answer. Jordan, I want to tell you, I I could go on forever and ever and ever, but I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you. I cannot wait to see you. I can't uh, wait to meet you in person. Uh, we, uh, I'm going to be there hopefully this weekend. Uh, Joe and Andrew, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't want you to go anywhere for a moment. I'm going to give my closing remarks, okay. and then I'm going to give you the final word today. Okay. It could be about anything that we spoke about that you want to build upon, okay. anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message you want to leave everyone with today uh and uh when you say goodbye the final credits will roll so you don't have to worry about how do i end this okay i will take care of this um but i end uh first of all everyone if you get a chance uh to go to penguin rep in stony point uh look it up it's penny uh, penguin rep uh you can't miss it right in stony point it is one of the best theaters around and I, I, talk, I drop her name on almost every show, but I was very fortunate to have Carol Channing as a friend. Mm. And Carol Channing always used to say that in order for a show or a, a theater to succeed, you need people from all walks of life mm. sitting together in the dark, experiencing that experience together. Mm -hmm. And the thing, as Jordan said just a moment ago, pulling up the Penguin Rep, and walking through that lobby mm. and walking into that theater, which is a very intimate theater. Yeah. Um, you you know the people there. And even if you don't know them, you're forced to strike up a conversation with the people sitting next to you. Mm. And I will say this about Joe and Andrew. What they have done at Penguin Rep, has crea uh, they've created a family. Mm. Um, Artists that come there want to come back, and I'm sure that you will be, Vic Jordan. Mm -hmm. uh, they are just the best at what they do. Um, so go and see this show. Go see a live show. There's nothing like it. I also end every show by telling all, uh, and I want you to do the same thing, yeah. Jordan. Pick up the phone and call someone that you have not spoken to in a while. Oh, yeah. uh, not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message. 
but a phone call and let that person know that they have made a difference in your life. Tom Jones, who wrote The Fantastics, mm. I remember he just recently passed away. Two weeks ago, I had his final interview. And I am so glad that I got a chance to talk with him and for him to tell his story. And it was just wonderful. And I also, while I was away, um, a dear friend of mine who was an actor uh, suddenly passed away. Mm. And uh, these moments are precious. I don't say this to be morbid, but no. to, tell, to celebrate each and every moment. Pick up the phone, call someone you haven't spoken to in a while. Not a text message, not a private inbox message, not a uh, an email, but a phone call. And let that person know that they've made a difference in your life. Mm. Your friend, he says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. Mm. And I say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm going to leave the screen. And Jordan, it's all yours. You've got the final word. Thank you. My final word today is please go to the theater. Spend money going to the theater. And when you get there, have the best time and turn your phone off. Not on silent, not on airplane, all the way 